Thought Leadership from PwC. And that's where the challenge is going to come in, is that we just haven't had to look at things to this level of depth with this lens in a very long time. And the people that are going to win are the people that can react the fastest and that have a plan and know what they're going to do. With a special episode focused on the current inflationary environment, this is PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn, and thanks so much for joining me today. A Wall Street Journal headline from January 12th of this year read, U.S. inflation hit 7% in December, fastest pace since 1982. Levels of macroeconomic inflation are hitting 40-year highs, according to the Labor Department's Consumer Price Index. And while a number of analysts expect this trend to begin to normalize in 2022, the fact remains that many companies are facing the reality that inflation is already here and asking, what should I do? One of our goals on this podcast is to equip you with insights that maximize the relevance in conversations across multiple functions. And we think today's conversation will do just that as we talk about the current inflationary environment. Our guest today is here to help us explore the strategic options companies have at their disposal in this environment. David Chabay is a partner in PwC's consulting solutions practice, here to help us explore the strategic options companies have at their disposal in this environment. Today, we're all about inflation. Let's get started. David, welcome to the show, talking about a subject that I think is on the tip of everyone's tongue uh, these days, and that would be inflation and where we're going, what the potential impact is. But maybe before we get into some specifics, I know that you've been looking at some different scenarios about, I guess, you have a crystal ball, you're going to tell us the future. Um, So with your crystal ball, just to hook our audience right away, what are you seeing as we look ahead? I don't know about a crystal ball so much as just the probability scenarios that we're looking at with different folks. And so, you know, really there's, there's three broad probabilities that, that could happen and likely combinations of it will occur. And so the first scenario is that the Fed and the, the rest of the global banks have trouble getting control of inflation for a variety of reasons. We've had a lot of inflationary pressures built up for years and we have multiple years of sustained high inflation. Obviously, there will be reactions with interest rates, and so interest rates will rise. The second scenario is that the Fed and and its counterparts um, do regain control of inflation in 22, and 2021 becomes kind of a blip similar to what 2007 was. The third scenario is that um, a combination of the the Fed actions and globally, they overcorrect, and we end up with deflation. I think they're going to have a hard time getting inflation under control in 22 and I think beyond. Um, And I think more and more measures will be taken to try to get there. I think there's a decent chance we'll end up with some deflation at some part of the world at some point as we move forward. And so it's really just a question of how much the different banks decide to move and then how the global economy responds. So before I ask you, start asking more specifics about the Fed and then how this is going to work globally, as you think about those three scenarios, sort of already answered my question in terms of you think it's going to be hard to get control of it. But if you had to pick one of those three scenarios as 
sort of the, the front runner for 2022? Do you, do you have a front runner? Or you think we're yes. going to bounce among them? <laughs> I think, I think 22 is going to be sustained high inflation for, for all four quarters with the wage pressures that we've got going on with the amount of stimulus spending that, that occurred and the amount of, you know, I'll say underlying pressures that we've had building for the last decade that there's no doubt more and more inflation is. And we're hearing it from our clients um, and the and different trade groups um, in terms of a lot of the goods are, uh, are rising in price pretty rapidly. And, you know, it's not just some of the, you know, big markets that you might think of. It's also in food supply. It's also in emerging technologies. Renewables are seeing a, a huge rise in those. And some of these areas have not had inflation that they've had to have as their primary concern for their commodity price. So, David, I spoke to Craig and Zane last week about the causes, some of what's going on with labor and why we have labor shortages and is it systemic, et cetera. Is there something driving this change in commodity prices? Because I, and I'll share, I come from background in power and utilities and we do see individual commodities, you know, traditional like natural gas, electricity will bounce up for a specific reason and then we'll see them come back down. But what you're talking about is more sustained. And so is that because of demand? I mean, normally when price moves is because yes. of demand, but what are some of the causes of that? If we, if we kind of break that down there, there's, you know, what's called demand pull and, and then cost push for the two factors from inflation there. And you're kind of touching on both. The demand pull has been jerky coming at with, uh, with the COVID situation. I'm not just talking about the, the toilet paper. It's been kind of throughout. Obviously, a lot of people with have been trying to get into housing. Um, that's caused a lot of the housing materials to to push on there. And then the the on the cost side, we haven't done great favors to ourselves in America with the with the changes to tariffs and how the the global supply chain would be reacting, even if we just had the tariff change, as opposed to also all the COVID changes. You've seen the ships that get stacked up on the west coast coming from from China. All these things are factoring in for more and more cost pressures. And then companies are obviously having to react to those cost pressures to pass those costs along to their business or consumers. And then the inflationary cycle starts setting in. Yeah, so that was actually my next question. I think that's what we're going to get into is that once you start having discussion of inflation, it seems self-perpetuating. So people think there's inflation and then there is inflation and then people will see that there's inflation. So then there's more inflation. And so maybe starting with the fed or otherwise, once you get into that cycle, how can you kind of cut, cut it off? It's tough to break. Right. And so you almost have to set a new equilibrium on there. And I'm not, uh, I'm not a, a, a deep economist and, and I'm sure there's an economist or two that's going to listen. That's going to tell me, no, you're, you're, completely wrong. But <laughs> yeah, but the, the answer is going to come in with trying to put the brakes on the economy. Um, we're going to have to do a global adjust. It's going to be a little different than coming out of it from the, from the 70s and 80s. We're a lot more connected globally. That's going to cause us problems. We've got, uh, we've got a, a very different uh, way companies are operating from a technology landscape. And the demand for different goods has, has changed, obviously, in the last 30 years. All right. So I'm, I 
want to get to what companies can do because they cannot control these inflationary forces. They might want to understand them, but they can't control them. But one more question, because you did mention the Fed and other central banks. And so do you see them acting in concert or what do we think is going to happen from sort of the Fed and and central bank perspective? I hope Again, they, with your crystal ball. <laughs> I would say I, I hope they act in concert, but um, usually when I hope for things like that for uh, for world cohesion, um, they, they don't always come through. And so I think what it'll end up being is each each country will be moving it according to what is going on in their specific area region. And we'll we'll see how fast the, the Fed moves um, initially to change this and we'll see how much, how much power they've got. You know, fortunately interest rates are low right now. And so um, they've at least got a lot of, a lot of room to, to move that lever. Yeah. All right. Well, David, I tried to get you to summarize in like eight minutes, a graduate level course in um, economics. So we'll, we'll move past that to really the purpose of today, which is, as I said, is that, you know, CFOs, really can't control what's going on around them. Right. But obviously they do have various levers that can pull within their own companies. And so what are some of the things you see companies doing or that CFOs can do to react? I think that's the more exciting part um, for me, at least. So what we've got are four four basic levers and I'll, I'll go into them, but just to lay them out. So it's cost control, pricing adjustments, debt structures, and investment strategies. And the reason uh, we've got these as the four right now, and then they obviously can change as we go navigate through this time, is because these are some of the some of the levers that had to be pulled in the 70s and 80s, which is the last time we had multiple years of sustained inflation. It's been 30 years that we've we've had this amount of, of inflation, and last year was was much higher than than our 20 year average, and much higher than any individual year um, that we've had over that time with the exception of 2007. So decomposing those, cost controls where everybody's going to try to focus first on there. And it's going to be hard because most companies will say, well, I've always been cost conscious. Um, and and of course they have been, but this is going to require a, a different look at those costs. And so, you know, fixing in and locking vendor pricing being ready to um, to identify alternative suppliers and materials um, that are potentially going to be less impacted by inflation, looking for employee uh, cost changes and, you know, either predicting them or, or getting ahead of the wave to, to maintain the workforce. People are starting to look really hard now too at, you know, how can we move some, some of our fixed costs to variable costs and, and actually let some of this ride and on there looking at, you know, Buying and leasing long-term equipment earlier, while the while the interest rates are lower, and looking at operational changes. Now, the cost control there's there's not going to be uh, things that can be done for everybody, and this is because this is all going to come down to pricing power, um, which kind of leads to the next piece. So, David, yeah. before we go into pricing power, I have a question because I think sometimes when there's uncertainty, which clearly there is a lot of uncertainty right now, mm-hmm. then the natural reaction from CFOs and and other people would be to say, I don't want to lock anything in because I don't know what's going to happen. And so, you know, do you see a downside of, hey, I'm going to act now to, you know, you made the point and lock in like equipment leases because things could get better? Or you think just given where we see things going and the, the, the relatively historic low interest rates, just it's better to move now? Yeah, I look at it two ways for the interest rate 
pieces. So first of all, the Fed and others could definitely overcorrect um, with and cause deflation. But anything with an interest rate right now, I don't see any scenarios where interest rates are going to be lower than they are today, which is really low over the next you know three to five years um, as, as they try to correct and adjust for this. And so to me, locking in um, those components is right now is, is probably the right call. I don't, I don't see a lot of scenarios where it all disappears and, um, and then the Fed lowers the interest rates back down to where they're below, significantly below where we are today. And then if I'm thinking, okay, I want to lock in vendor pricing as another one, mm-hmm. then obviously I have a company on the other side whose CFO may be saying, well, I don't want to lock prices in right now because that could be a mistake for me. And so how, I mean, how do you see that panning out? Do you see price adjusters and contracts or, you know, there has to be some level that a deal can be made. I think it's going to run the gambit, to be honest, right? That again is going to get down to pricing power. So if you've got a supplier who you're their one and only customer, you've got a good bit of pricing power and you need to be ready to use it. But you also got to realize that if they get put in too tight of a spot, they can easily go under and then you've lost a a supplier, assuming that's a key supplier to you that you can't. And when we look at pricing, like the pricing power that I'm um, related to is coming from, uh, from based off the MSCI uh, world index, but you know, pharma and biotech have some of the best pricing power on the other side, energy and transportation have some of the worst software is kind of off on its own in in terms of uh, the standard deviation for its gross margin percentage. And, you know, the, it, you've got to understand where you lie for your customers and for what, for how you're going to be affected. And if you're in, an, if you're in one of the areas that has low pricing power and your vendors have high pricing power, it's going to be tough and all that more important for you to move fast. If you're in the other place, you've got, you've got more flexibility as this comes, which is great, great for, uh, for those companies. And then as you think, so you were going on to pricing adjustments. So what yeah. are some of the things you're seeing from a price perspective? The two big things are when do we, when do we raise prices and what's that effect going to be? And so the, the when do we raise prices, people are starting to do analysis based off of the three scenarios uh, that we covered earlier on when, what are the trigger points for price increases to maintain our net income or cash flow and how do we maintain our margins? And then understanding how that's going to affect our volumes. And then what are the, what are the cash requirements for those changes in volumes? And then the, the second piece in terms of how do, we, how do we keep those customers? Like anytime you raise prices, you've got a chance to lose customers and clients, right? Um, and so what are the other triggers? What are the other things we need to be thinking about, like customer loyalty programs or any other things that will help with our customer retention? How do we identify the customers that are, that are with us for, uh, for things other than price or that are not at quite as price sensitive and make sure we're catering to them because we know what's going to happen. And so if I've got, you know, 15% of my customers, which are the, are the bargain hunters, you're probably spending a lot of time on those customers. Um, and they're likely to leave as you start doing price increases and you're going to, you're likely going to need to do price increases. So maybe maybe this is time to do the deeper analysis on your customers and start to not worry about that 15%, cater to the 85%, or maybe more cater to the 40% that's, that's, um, that's two-thirds of your profit. 
All right. And then you mentioned cash needs, and I think that's where your debt and investment strategies come in. So wh what do you think about from a debt perspective, especially given that a lot of companies probably have debt at very low interest rates right now? Yeah, yeah, they do. And there, there's, you know, if we think about the range of, of types of companies, too, that are out there, I mean, we've got a whole plethora of of debt vehicles. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into eat all the different types of, uh, of, of ways that people are accessing the, the debt markets, um, and components, but rather this is, this is one where after you've got a feeling for what's going to happen on your cost and your pricing, you need to get those laid out in terms of your, your actual needs. And if you've got uh, investments, um, and debt that is coming due over the next Two three years, and you can and you can accelerate it. Not everybody can, and you can accelerate it. You know, we're we're at the time where if you do that, that'll be smart plays for the for the next handful of years. Obviously, anything that you can do to to increase the the term um, is is probably going to pay pay you out well um, over the next you know three five, and hopefully it's just three to five years. All right. And then finally, you talked about investment strategies. So what do you see on that front? You know, we've been seeing a lot of movement in the in the uh, in the markets for for investments that have been driven by uh, regulation so far. And so, you know, I'd say the last couple of years, ESG companies have gotten um, extremely hot. Anybody, you know, people are looking to do closed economy. People are looking to to uh, to pick up anything that's got an ESG component to it. And when I when I look at it now, it's kind of like, well, when we overlay that on top of inflation, we're going to have to make sure that the companies we're buying are set up for those inflationary pressures that we've talked about. So in other words, everybody's always looked at the customer base for a target. I mean, there's no question about that. But there's probably going to need to be increased diligence on exactly how loyal are these customers? How price sensitive are we to the different types of shocks? That, uh, that might come about from inflation, from supply chain disruptions, uh, movements as we go across. What, what is, what is going to happen? And you, you almost need to add on some layers of, of, uh, of deeper analysis that we haven't had to um, in the last 30 years as we look at these companies. And so it's, it's not anything, um, anything different. Like there's not necessarily new line items on there other than uh, perhaps some deeper FP&A analysis. Um, but it's uh, it's looking at things in a in a different perspective, a different lens than we have before. So, David, then if I'm listening and I'm thinking, okay, some of these strategies might make sense for me, but I obviously need to then think about from my company's perspective, how do I go about determining what are the right steps to take? So, what are sort of some key steps you think about? Yeah, I, I think there's five five key steps. Uh, that that people need to be looking at doing. We're at the tipping point, the early pieces right now. I think it's being felt everywhere. So step number one is just identifying which of the three scenarios or combination of the scenarios do you think are going to occur and are going to impact you. We got you got to understand what the external pressures are first. Then on the levers, understand each of the levers for your company and how much they're able to be pulled on that. Nobody's going to be able to pull every lever and everybody will be able to pull at least some levers. And then the third is actually have a, um, a model updated that you can use to navigate through these times. So vast majority of people have FP&A models that they're, that they're using. Most of them 
did not have it to where we can adjust for inflation and see different scenarios and modeling that easily. Um, that's going to be critical to navigate, you know, month over month, quarter over quarter as we go through this, because whatever you plan today is going to be a different answer nine months from now. The fourth one is the contingency plans for the different scenarios. So when, when and as things change, what are we, what are we going to do? What are we going to be ready to do? Are we going to need to hold prices? Are we going to need to bump prices when this commodity goes up? What do we do if our labor shortage gets exasperated? What do we do if, uh, if our, one of our prime competitors starts to look shaky and we can go acquire them? Are we pulling the trigger or not? And then the fifth and final one is kind of a call to action. People need to actually start doing and pulling some of these initial levers. They need to start getting it, getting it ready. It's going to take a couple months to, to figure out what they want to do. Um, and by, by the time people start really being able to pull the levers, you're probably looking at, at spring, maybe even early summer and the inflation is not going to be stopping. It it, is certainly not through that period of time. So a couple of follow-up questions to that. First of all, in terms of sort of the cycle of steps, what frequency would companies want to be re-looking at these? It feels like with so much changing, this is like, do this exercise today, then a few weeks from now or a month from now, do this exercise yeah. again. I mean, this is not like do this now and wait till 2023. No, no, this is, this, this needs to be embedded in the, in the, um, you know, monthly quarterly updates that, that is part of your normal FPNA cycle. Um, you need to, you need to be adjusting it. And as, as far as when I would put it in your, in your normal um, rotation with, um, with an adder for, uh, you know, if, if interest rates start changing or if, um, if your commodity or labor prices continue to go up, then you need to be ready to, ready to move and ready to move more than you have before in the past, particularly when we talk about pricing. And then maybe a final question. It would be if I'm a CFO, obviously the news, it's all over the place, right? You, there's COVID, yeah. there's this, there's that, there's inflation. There's so many moving parts. It's sort of hard to pick out what's noise and what's actually important signals for how I should be reacting. And so as you are watching the news or developments, what are some of the key things that you would suggest people keep an eye on? Yeah, I mean, the the Fed, obviously, um, but, but really it's going to come down to your supplier prices and then, um, and then preferably, if you can, looking upstream of that a little bit, right? So the, the best companies that I've seen that do this, um, even though they're not buying, you know, raw steel or raw, raw materials, they're, they, they know that what commodities are going into their goods and they're watching the commodity prices and, um, and predicting that, okay, that those changes in commodity prices will hit me three to six months from now, because that's as, as it works through my supply chain. And so it's understanding the inputs, several layers behind just your, your first level suppliers and having, having at least a vision of what you're going to do, but more importantly, a plan. So it sounds like you're almost saying, don't be distracted by the news. I mean, keep an eye on it, but actually spend more of your time focused on your business and the factors that are specifically impacting you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I mean, you know, labor shortage, labor shortage uh, doesn't mean anything to a group that um, has enough people, right? Labor shortage means a ton to, you know, airlines right now. Um, And, you know, there's, there's so many, so many different subsectors that are, that are having labor shortage. 
And for them, the cost increases from a, from a labor perspective alone are, are going are gonna to drive the need for pricing increase. But then it's going to be the other components that are, that are going to all happen at the same time as well. And that's where the challenge is going to come in, is that we just haven't had to look at things to this level of depth with this lens on in a very long time. And frankly, it's, uh, since it's been 30 years, most of, uh, most of our leaders, um, you know, PwC included, uh, have have not been leading organizations during high inflationary cycles. You, you might have been you might have been in business. You might have been out of college, but you have barely. You, you, but yeah. you but you weren't but you weren't leading uh, an organization, right? So nobody's really seen it like this, except in very few cases. And then you add on all the other changes that have taken place in the last thirty years, and the government spending and COVID, and it's a it's a different scenario. And we're the, the people that are going to win are the people that can react the fastest and that have a plan and know what they're going to do. All right. Well, David, that's a very positive note to end on. <laughs> so we will cut things off there, but appreciate all the insight. And thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely. My pleasure. That's it for today. Been a while since I've asked you for feedback on our show. I'd love for you to reach out to me at heather.horn at pwc.com or please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. We're really interested in your input and we'll incorporate it in future shows. To make sure that you never miss any of our audio content, follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. With two new episodes released each week, there's something for everyone. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com slash structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.